Have you ever had a goal that just seemed impossible? If so, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Consistent Runner Girls and Notable Peeps, the series that gives attention to remarkable people who are putting on their shoes, doing their best, and believing in the impossible. All my dreams are coming, all my dreams are humming, all my dreams are coming true. This podcast is all about people's stories, and a couple episodes ago I talked about how I've taken from my network or bloggers that I loved or people on Instagram, and I've reached out to them, and now I want to give you guys the opportunity to share the people in your life stories that that inspire you. And so today's guest is actually, uh, was a nomination by Allison Spencer, and I, I brought up Allison a couple episodes ago as well. She's listened to every episode, so thanks for being a faithful listener. She's also a dear friend of mine. And she nominated a friend of hers that she met in college, Rachel Smith, actually Dr. Rachel Smith, because she's now a dentist. And this is why she said, that she nominated her dear friend. She said, I nominated Rachel for this podcast because she not only achieves impossible goals, but because she keeps on dreaming. Each time she checks a goal off her list, she adds another one. She reminds me that no goal is impossible and that it's never too late to add a new goal to your list. So thank you so much, Allison, for nominating Rachel. I had so much fun interviewing her. And to the rest of you guys, if there's someone that you're like, their story would be great, head on over to notablepeeps.com and send me a message. Hey, welcome to the Notable Peeps Podcast. My name's Steph, and today I'm with Dr. Rachel Smith, and we are talking all about her impossible goal to become a dentist, even though people told her that she was a girl and there's no way that she could do it. So how are you doing today, Rachel? I'm doing good, thanks. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to talk with you. (laughs) Well, thanks. Allison has told me so many great things about you, so... That's nice of her. Thanks so much for taking time to do this phone interview. Yeah, of course. So let's just dive in. I want to talk about how when you were a kid, you wanted to be a dentist, right? How old were you when you decided you want to be a dentist? So I have gone to the same dentist my whole life. And when I was about eight years old, he told me that I should be a dentist because not only was he a dentist, but his wife was also a dentist. And he told me it was a great because she could work a few days a week and then be home with the kids and still make a lot of money. And so at eight years old, I'm like, that's exactly what I want to do. That sounds great. Have like a four day weekend and stay home with my kids and still make a decent living. And at age 12, I was in an accident where um, my best friend at the time and I, we were at a our brother's basketball game. We decided it was a timeout and we were bored. And so we decided that we were going to run to the end of the court and race back. And so we were sitting on a stage and we jumped off and ran down to the opposing wall and was running back. And we were both laughing and smiling all big because we thought we were each going to win and we were trying to hold back the other person from winning. And in that, our feet got entangled. And I ended up tripping over her feet and falling face first into the stage. Oh, man. I had broken my nose and, like, scraped all the gums off of my upper teeth. Oh, that sounds painful. (laughs) And got in a concussion. And so my mom didn't know what to do. And so she called the ER and they basically told her that it was going to be a few hours before they would get me in, life-threatening. And so she didn't know what to do. So she called my dentist and he came down. He'd just gotten home. It was like nine o'clock at night. And he came back to the office 
and with my mom as his makeshift assistant, he stitched me back up and fixed everything. And so it was a pretty serious injury. And today you can't even tell. And so at age 12, I realized that, you know, it was more than like six months visits and cleanings and cavities. Like you really had the potential to help people. And so from that point on, it was like decided. And if anybody ever asked me, what are you going to be when you grow up? It was always a dentist. And I wasn't sure how I was going to do it or what it was going to take. But I just knew that I was going to be a dentist someday. So from pretty young age. So that's the same dentist who told you earlier on when you were eight that you should be a dentist? Yeah. He's kind of been a mentor to me along the way and helped me out with questions and stuff. So yeah, he's been a great resource. What's his name? His name is Dr. World. He works at, he owns Pioneer Valley Dental in West Valley. Oh, so shout out to Dr. World. That's a great (laughs) last name. Right? (laughs) Love that. (laughs) Well, and that like, where you talked about how it rubbed your gums off, I'm like, that sounds so painful. it was a tough recovery, but he got me through it. Well, that's great. And so was it a little bit after this that you told someone that you wanted to be a dentist and they're like, girls can't be dentists? Or what was that experience? Oh, gosh. It's happened so many times I couldn't think of like an exact moment to elaborate on. I will say that even now, at least on a weekly, if not more than that basis, uh, people don't believe that I'm the dentist or they ask me when the dentist is coming in. I've had patients say, Next time we want to see the real dentist. So, I mean, we do have a big discrepancy, especially in Utah. So across the nation, about 30% of dentists are women. And in Utah, it's less than 3% of dentists are women. Whoa. And so, and it's interesting because doctors, like medical doctors, the national average is around 21%. And um, in Utah, we're on par with that about 20%. So we're pretty evenly distributed in Utah as well as the rest of the country. But for some reason, there's a big discrepancy in dentistry as far as being the dentist, obviously not as a hygienist or assistant, but definitely dentistry is a male-dominated career. And so all the time people come in and say, oh, I'm here to see Dr. Smith. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. And they're like, what? oh, I was expecting somebody else. And I'm like, you mean you were expecting a boy or a man? (laughs) So, I mean, it happened so frequently when I was in dental school. There was people who would come in and request male doctors. I don't know if they thought we weren't as smart or we weren't as good, but I think that they're trying, especially I, I know at the University of Utah where I attended dental school, they are trying to get more women involved. They hold events every year called Women in Dentistry to um, bring people up to the school, bring women up and host an event for them to see what it's like to be in the dental field and kind of gain more interest. So I know that it's an effort that they're trying to bring it up. But yeah, so it happens all the time, even still today. I'm like, it's 2017. Girls can do anything. But there's some people who haven't <laughs> caught up to that mentality yet. So does that ever get you down or does that ever get you frustrated? Yeah. A lot of the time I just laugh it off and kind of like, yeah, it's funny. They do let girls be dentists now. I know. Crazy, right? But it's kind of more of like an eye roll moment than anything. I mean, I don't take offense. I don't take it personally. It's just something that they're not used to, something You know, not especially if you've lived in Utah your whole life, there's very few dentists 
that are females, majority of my patients say, I've never had a female dentist. And so then it's like my job to give them this great first impression, right? Yeah. And then there's people who have said that they feel much more comfortable with a female and they prefer female. And so I think that it's just based on your preference, like any type of doctor. And so it doesn't really like hurt my feelings or anything like that. I just know that they're not used to it and that's okay. And it is what it is. And if they don't want to see me, they don't have to, but it doesn't happen very often that after our appointment, they still request somebody else, if that makes sense. So, Oh, yeah. So, like, once they, they see you. And I was also thinking, I mean, you're young. You're, like, this cute blonde. So they're probably like, wait, wait, you're the? Now, more than anything, I get, like, I'm too young to be a doctor, more than female. I feel like I work with a lot of patients. So I work at the University of Utah Hospital right now. And a lot of the patients are older and sick. And so they come in and they're like, how old are you? They're like really concerned that I am able to do this. I'm allowed to do this. Like I snuck in or something. (laughs) But yeah, that seems to be more of an issue than being a female recently anyways. You went to the University of Utah, right, for dental school. and And didn't that just open up recently? So... It was kind of like the perfect storm. So, like I said, I had my mindset that I was going to be a dentist. I didn't know how. I didn't know what it was going to take. And so, I went and saw – I did my undergrad at the University of Utah as well, and they had, like, a pre-professional advisor that if you wanted to go into law school or medical school or dental school or be a PA or whatever, you can meet with this lady, and she would tell you, these are the classes you need to take. This is the order. This is the timeline. This is when you should be taking your exams. This is when you should be applying whatever. So she drew me out this timeline like my sophomore year. And I stupidly, blindly followed this timeline without ever questioning it. And so I was going along and I actually ended up taking, it's called the dental admissions test or abbreviated as the DAT. I ended up taking it a year later than I should have. So that meant that I couldn't apply until a year later than I should have or could have. Oh man! And so at first when I realized that I had basically lost a year, I was so upset. Like, why did I listen to somebody without questioning? Why didn't I get a second opinion? Why did this lady tell me to do this if she didn't know what I should be doing? And so I was super frustrated. Then the next year there was an announcement that the dental school had been approved and it all kind of just was like, this has to work out for me. This is why I like lost a year and this is why I got confused and took my test late and applied late so that I could go to dental school here. And it was a really big deal for a lot of reasons. One, because I'm a huge family person. My family lives here. My husband lives here and he he wasn't my husband at the time, but um, my boyfriend of a lot of years lived here. And, and long distance sucks. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> and not only that, but dental school, uh, graduate school is super expensive, particularly medical school and dental school. And so you can go to dental school in a state where you also have residents. It cuts your tuition load by half, if not more. So if you go to an out-of-state school or you go to a private school, you're looking at half a million dollars easily for a four-year tuition cost. And so being able to stay in Utah, being able to go in my home state where I have residents saved me 
over $300,000 to be able to stay here. And that's huge at the end of it when you're trying to pay off student loans and get started in a practice and get your feet on the ground and get running and get your patients and all of that. The last thing you want to worry about is making these payments for your student loans. And it's just so expensive. And so when the dental school announced that they were opening, it was just like, I have to make this work. And so the year that I applied was the first year that it was open and it was able to open. The founding dean had been working on it for like 15 years and they just couldn't get all of the funding. The state didn't have enough funding. They couldn't get the money. And finally, there was a family from um, Utah that donated like $36 million in order to make the dental school a reality. And it just Thank so Thank you to that family. Right? <laughs> Shout out to the Nordis. The Nordis? Norda's, yeah, Ray and Ty Norda. And so when they donated that money, then the legislation passed the bill that the dental school could be up and running. And so I applied that year and I had no idea what I was doing. I literally Googled, like, how do you apply to dental school? <laughs> I love um, that. <laughs> and I figured it out as I went. I don't have anybody in my family who's a dentist, I don't know anybody who had ever done the process before. And so I just stumbled my way through the application process. And at the U of U, the first year for the inaugural class, they had over 850 applicants and were only accepting 20 students for the first class. So odds were not good. (laughs) But I ended up in that first year. So you were one of those 20. I was one of the 20. So wait, how many women were in that 20? So out of the 20, there was four women, Man. 16 males and four females. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So I ended up getting in and it's been a huge blessing. And I still don't know how it all came together, not only from like the perfect storm that got me in the right place at the right time, but the odds of getting in were really not great. And then on top of that, like the people that I went to school with were just brilliant beyond brilliant. And I would just like tell myself like, how the heck (laughs) did I get here with these people? Because they were just so beyond any, I mean, I knew smart people, but the people that I went to dental school with were just beyond anything I'd ever known. So it, it was honestly going to the University of Utah. I know so many people who applied and didn't get in. And I really consider myself very lucky and blessed with that opportunity. And it all just kind of worked together to create this perfect opportunity. The timing all just came together for me to get in there. And it was like a wonderful experience for me and like the best four years of my life, however cheesy that is. But it's true. So I miss it all the time. I didn't think that I was going to miss going to school, but now that I'm like out working, I'm like, dang, I wish I was just like in school with all my friends again. Um, <laughs> well, and and even as an undergrad, weren't you a huge University of Utah fan? Yeah. Yeah. So my husband played for the University of Utah basketball team. Oh, okay. And so we've just been, yeah, I've done all my education at the U. We bleed red. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and just as you were talking, I'm like, the fact that it took 15 years to get this school up and running, that's crazy, first off, you know, and then it just happened to be the the Nordas donated the money and everything worked out. And then you were, there were only four girls in that class and you were one of those four, you know, like, that's really cool. So, so, um, 
let's see. So transitioning though, so like that worked out perfectly, it sounds like for you, but have you ever had a time in your life that maybe things haven't gone according to plan? You know, I have, and I think that everybody has, and I mean, now looking back on it, it seems so silly that I was ever upset by such little things. So when I was in ninth grade, um, I had been dancing with the same group of friends for three years, um, all through junior high. And we all decided that we were going to try out for the high school drill team. And where I'm from, from is a small town. And um, the drill team being a part of the drill team is a really big deal. And so we all decided we were going to try out for drill team. And literally every single girl that I was friends with made the drill team except for me. And it was just like super devastating. And my first reaction was just like, this is so embarrassing. Like everyone's going to know I tried out with all my friends and I'm the only one who didn't make it. And, you know, and I felt very um, discouraged and I knew that I was going to be left out of so many things, like all their team dinners and team activities. And I was going to like just be left out and left behind. And I was so discouraged and so embarrassed. And, you know, I have a really good support system. And then through talking with my parents and like my own realization, I was just like, you know, I can't let this failure become part of my future and determine who I'm going to be next year. Because initially I was like, I'm not trying out again. I can't put myself through this. It's so embarrassing. You know, I was one of those um, perfect 4.0 students, type A personalities, cared so much what people thought and how I looked and how like my, you know, not necessarily my physical appearance, appearance, but just like I cared so much about how others thought of me and looked at me and so I was just like this is so embarrassing I can never try out again and you know after like a week I was just like no I'm not gonna let this one failure determine the rest of my high school career so I ended up like joining a dance team working really closely with the coach and improving so much that the next two years I was able to make the drill team and now looking back on it I'm like it's really stupid to be like oh this huge failure that I had was not making a dance team but I think important what it taught me, which was so important and set me up for the future, was that you shouldn't let like single moments in your life to take up too much time because time's gonna pass, and you can either make yourself better and do better and be a better person, or the time's gonna pass anyways, and you can do nothing and get the same result every single time and so it kind of just taught me that like you can pick yourself up and dust yourself off and get better and try again and get different results like you're not destined to always fail because of one failure and you know it's something that I had to learn from that point I mean I would classify that as like my first big failure first thing that happened to me that didn't work out perfectly how I wanted it to and then it happened again in college and then it happened again in dental school and it happens again in my adult career life and so it's just like something that I've taught myself that I'm better than this I can rise to the occasion I can learn from my mistakes and get better and do better and so um you know and in high school I ended up being like one of the officers my senior year and being um vice president and of the dance team and everything and so um I'm glad because there was another girl that I knew who also didn't make the 
Gerald team, we weren't friends, but like we both went through like a very similar thing. And her response was to like go off and party and drink and all this stuff in high school. And so we just like took very different routes from a similar thing that had happened to us. And so I don't know. I'm grateful for that and grateful for the people that supported me and helped me to get better and try again and help me to realize that it's not the end of the world as like every 14 year old girl is just like, <sighs> life is over. But you know, so, as you talk about that and you're like, looking back, it's not that big of a deal, but like to be the only one out of your friends not to make that, like, that's a huge deal when you're that age, you know, because right? no one wants to be different. <laughs> no one wants to stand out. And I just look at that, that you're like, okay, I'm not going to let this determine my future and that you just worked hard on dancing and that you were able to. So then you were in the, the dance club, right? Which was different than mm -hmm. drill or was it the same? Right. Yeah. Right. They were different. So I joined that group instead. And then you were year. vice president of the, the dance Club. Right. And everyone has different things that they struggle with and things that are super hard for them that wouldn't be as hard for someone else, you know? Like, I, right. I have a friend that I've been talking to and grad school has been so hard for her. And she's like, you know, some people will look at grad school and be like, oh, it's not that bad. But she's like, but this, like, they don't know everything that I'm going through and my insecurities and my, like, everything in my life that makes right. this so hard. Right. And that's why I'm like, so grateful that I did not go to high school in a time where social media existed. Oh, like yeah. MySpace was a thing, but like nothing compared to what social media is now. And I can't even imagine being an insecure 15 year old, 16 year old girl in high school and seeing the things that people put on the internet and talk bad about each other and gossip and all these terrible yeah, things. Yeah, and even like the dance pictures I noticed that it's mm -hmm. like they always have like their dance pictures and I'm like, those dances that you don't get asked to that like adds yeah. the sting even more. So you were talking yeah. about how in college there was a time that things didn't go your way. And, and was that with the UPC director? Yeah. So my freshman year, yeah, my freshman year, I joined something called UPC, which was stood for the Union Programming Council. And basically what their role was on campus was to plan events for students. And whether that was community service to help Huntsman Cancer Institute or the homeless or the sick at the hospital or whether it was Crimson Nights. With I loved Crimson <laughs> Nights. One of my favorite memories was Yellow Card going to Crimson Nights. So. <laughs> yeah, so Crimson Nights was like a late night program to try to keep college students safe and have like fun in a safe environment. So UPC held all types of events like that. So I joined UPC my freshman year and I like worked my butt off and I was like groomed and like promised a position as a director. And when it came to time to apply, I like worked so hard on my application. You have to do like this huge presentation and an interview and all this stuff. And so I was so confident. And then I ended up not getting the position. Oh. And I was just like so devastated because other people who I had brought into UPC that had like worked there less than me and like contributed less than me ended up getting a director job. And the reason why it was so important is not only because it's like a reward for working so hard, but it was also a scholarship, a full ride scholarship. Oh. And so it was just like super 
discouraging, you know, and it was a very similar experience to when I didn't make drill team. I was just, you know, I worked so hard and I gave everything and it wasn't enough. So why would I keep contributing? Like, I'm embarrassed to show my face because everybody knew I was applying and they're going to like give me their sympathy and just be like, oh, I'm so sorry. And so I was just like, I don't even want to contribute because like I gave everything I had and it wasn't enough. So why would I want to like keep putting time and effort into something that isn't benefiting me back? And it took me like a weekend to get over it. And then I ended up emailing the director and was just like, I want to be super involved. I want to help, even though I didn't get the position. And so my sophomore year, I ended up being an associate director. So working underneath somebody on the Crimson Night board. And then I feel like that year really prepared me. And so then my junior year yeah my junior year I ended up being the director of Crimson Knights so I got the director position and then my senior year I ended up getting the position of executive director which is the director over the entire union programming council so I just like worked my way up and was able to get a scholarship for three of the four and a half years that I was there so it's just like a very similar theme as to the story about drill team about you know not letting it define you and not letting it make your decisions for your future and that you're just going to continue to give effort even though, you know, you kind of feel like it goes unnoticed. It's still making a difference and everything. And so um, it ended up paying off and it paid for the majority of my education and I met really great people and acquired a lot of skills and also my experience there, like my contributions to the Union Programming Council and then I also was the director for Rock the U, which create, uh, which raises money for Huntsman Cancer Institute. Those positions that I held while in college was a big reason why I ended up getting into dental school. They said that they were really impressed with like my community outreach and my involvement and everything that I had done in my undergrad. And so those, that was a big like star on my application and what got me noticed from a pile of 850 applicants. That was something that helped get me noticed. So had I not got the position and decided, oh, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to go find some other place to devote my time and effort. Who knows if I would have even gotten into dental school. Who knows if they would have, you know, found something else that set me apart from everybody else. So it paid off. It's hard sometimes, but it paid off. That's just so cool because I like how you're like, it took me a weekend. I'm like, a weekend? Like, that's pretty fast <laughs> to get over that. But, like, that's that's humbling to, like, send the person an email who got the position and be like, hey, I still want to help. Right. That shows character right there because a lot of times it's like, no. You know what? They don't want yes. me. I'm better than that. <laughs> like, you're going to, like, burn without exactly. me, you know? <laughs> so, so, and then just how it all came about, how you said that that was the gold star to do, help you get into dental school. So it sounds like you were were really involved in school. So do you have, like, a, a, prou- a proudest academic achievement or just this is your time to, like, brag, I guess? <laughs> oh, gosh. Proud academic achievement. So, you know, when I graduated high school, I had never gotten an A minus. I graduated with a perfect 4.0. Really? That's awesome. And I went to college thinking, you know, I'm so smart. I was number one in my class. Like, college is going to be so easy for me. 
And when I signed up for my college courses, they just have like other college kids help you pick which courses you are going to take, which is kind of silly, but. Yeah, I never thought of it like that, huh? They always seem so much older, but it's just college students. (laughs) Yeah, so this girl was helping me and she was like, okay, you took AP stats and you passed AP stats, so the next step is calculus. And so, okay, so I took calculus and it wasn't until like I had been in there and it was like past the date where you could like drop classes without a penalty, I realized that in order to take calculus, you needed trigonometry. And I never took trigonometry. And so there's like, you know, the calculus teacher would be like, and what's the sign of one? And all these people would raise their hands. And I'm like, wait, where did I miss this? And you know, it was my first semester at college. I had no friends in my class. I didn't know anybody. A lot of people would be surprised to know because I'm pretty outgoing. I'm super loud. I'm super blunt. But I have social anxiety. And so when I'm in a situation where I'm alone and I don't have like anybody I know around me and like getting to know new people and small talk and all those things, like it makes my skin crawl, just makes me so anxious and nervous. And so I didn't at the time have any like friends in the class or study partners. And I was just so embarrassed because I was getting horrible scores on my homework. I was studying so much and trying so hard. And finally, you know, I emailed my professor and I was just like, what do I do? I'm going to fail this class. I've never done so poorly in a class in my whole life. Like, I don't know what to do. So he ended up sending me to the Math Tutoring Center, which is a great resource that the university offers for free. And I would just spend hours and hours there every single day. And you know what? I ended up getting a B minus in the course. It's the worst grade I've ever had in all like 23 years of school (laughs) that I've been going to. But I was proud of myself because I stayed with it. I tried as hard as I could, even though I was missing like this huge block of information in order to take the class, which was trigonometry. And I didn't drop the course and say, oh, I'll retake it later. Like I stayed with it and did the best that I possibly could. And so even though it's like, honestly, the worst grade I've ever had, so you're wondering like, why are you proud of this moment? It said more about like my work ethic and my determination, which makes me more proud than like getting an A on an exam. No, I'm impressed with that. You didn't even have trigonometry and you got a B plus out of that class. <laughs> and like B plus was like a good grade for me. So that's like the lowest you've ever got. So <laughs> so I'm guessing then you were pretty much a straight A student through the rest of your school. Yeah, I... I mean, I wasn't like perfect like I was in high school and that's okay. I think that there's a really huge learning curve between college versus high school. And then there's a huge learning curve between dental school and college. Like I thought college was so hard. I would have like three tests in one week, like midterms or finals. And I'm just like, how am I going to get through this? This is so crazy. And then you go to dental school and your first semester, you have 41 credit hours. What? And you're just like, how, how, how do I even get through this? And, you know, you just adapt and you learn and you have to learn to rely on people for your help. And you have to, you know, get study groups and find out what works for you and get with it because otherwise you'll get left behind. It's just such a fast pace. So like, I love that you're extracurricular activities you know like planning red fest and doing this sort of stuff like you sound like you had a lot of fun but then you worked your butt off too so I think that's great that you were able to find that balance which isn't always easy no (laughs) okay so now you're a dentist what do you love most about being a dentist honestly I love my patients right now I'm having a little bit of a hard time because I'm in a residency 
And um, it's just a one-year program where you get, like, extra surgical training. You get the opportunity to get hospital privileges. So it's just like an extra year of training. You don't have to do it. But I decided to do it and decided that it would be a good opportunity. And the University of Utah has a good program that's been around for about 30 years. So I was just like, all right, I'm going to do this. So I applied. I got in. And it's been a little bit of a struggle for me because you go on so many rotations. We have two main clinics. I did a rotation down in Montezuma Creek, which is an Indian reservation in uh, southeast Utah, like out in the middle of nowhere. For a month, you're just like moving all over, going to different clinics and things. And so the thing that I miss the most is like continuity of care. So when I was in uh, dental school, I had like the same 40 patients and I knew everything about them. And, you know, every time they come in, I could say, how's your husband or how's your wife or how are your kids doing or how's your health problem? You know, and I could have these conversations and now it's just like so fast paced that I don't always see the same people. I see different people. I see other people's patients because it just depends on location. And so that's something that I miss the most because I really do enjoy getting to know people and helping them and, you know, improving whether they're in pain and helping them get out of pain or whether they hate their smile and they're embarrassed and we can make it better or, you know, it's just like, I love the patients that I have. And that's been true everywhere that I go. Down in Montezuma Creek, up at the hospital, in dental school, the little exposure that I've had to private practice. Every Everywhere I go, I just love the patients and getting to know people and helping them in whatever way that I can. Smiles are like so important. Right. And you have an opportunity to help people gain more confidence with that. So that's that's cool. And like when you are seeing the same patients over and over, I mean, it's every couple months they're coming right. in for a checkup. And, and so then this lasts for, for a year. And then, and then after that. Yeah, I'll be going into private practice. So working up in like the Sugar House area is the plan for now. So Sweet. So sort of switching gears really quick. I want to hear about, I hear you met your husband in middle school. I want to hear more <laughs> about this. You know, he's really who you should interview for this podcast because he's like the most amazing person I've ever met. But we can do a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> My husband, his name is Trey, and he's originally from California. And when we were in elementary school, his dad moved him and his sister out here to Utah. So we were in the same fourth grade class. Oh, it was so elementary school. Since, yeah, we've known each other since elementary school. His Last name is Smith, and my last name was Sellers. So we were always by each other, like when things were categorized by alphabetically. So, and actually, <laughs> he like loves to tell people this that I had a crush on him in fourth grade, and one day he <laughs> called me fish lips, <laughs> and it was like something that was just rude. And so I like told myself I was like, he's not a nice boy, so I don't like him anymore. We went on our separate ways. We were never in the same class again. We never hung around in the same groups of people. We always went to the same school, but he just like wasn't on my radar. <laughs> and it wasn't until we were in ninth grade, my junior high decided to do like these Friday activities. And I was so mad because we were grouped by our last names alphabetically. And my best friend, the same best friend who I tripped over and hit my face with, <laughs> my best friend, her last name started with an R. And so the cutoff was like between R and S. And so she went to a different one. And so I was like, crap, there is not one person that I really know in my group. 
So I was like looking at the list and I was like, oh gosh, I guess I'm going to have to hang out with Trey because he's like the only normal person I know in there. So we started sitting by each other and hanging out during these Friday activities. And then, you know, just like, I like hate telling this story because it's just like so cheesy. (laughs) But uh, I like wrote him a note and I was a cheerleader at the time. So we, we like hosted the high school dances. And so I like wrote him this note and I was like, hey, it's the Halloween dances coming up. I have a crush on you. If you have a crush on me too, you should come. Circle yes or no. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So he ended up coming to the dance and it was like that like cheesy thing that everyone did in junior high where you're like, will you go out with me? So we were 14 when that happened. And now here we are 14 years later, been together half of our lives. And um, we dated from the time we were 14 till 24. We got married at 24 and now we're both working and in careers that we love and building our first home and getting ready to start a family and time just passes so quick, you know? <laughs> but you don't hear a lot of people <laughs> that like start dating when they're 14 anymore no. and stay together. So I think that's so cute. <laughs> that's awesome. It wasn't always easy. We did do the long distance for a while because like I said, he played college basketball and then he moved to Missouri to play there for a year and, you know, trying to get our values and our priorities and our beliefs all in the same order and figuring out life wasn't so easy but we did it and we're happy and life's pretty good at the moment well and I think the coolest thing about that is you know like sometimes when you think back to junior high or whatever and like in my life right now I mean I have like my friend Jenny that she would remember things but other than that I don't have a lot of people so it's like you guys can you just have all these memories that you've shared for 14 years (laughs) well just to end I mean you've talked a lot about different times in your life that things haven't gone your way or like times that you've just had to to work hard to reach your goal and so what's your advice to someone that's listening and they think you know I can't do that I'm a girl I can't do this or I'll never be smart enough for this or or whatever the thing can be what's your advice to them of for accomplishing their impossible goals I think the number one thing to remember is that like you could either be your biggest your like your own biggest support system and root yourself on or you could also be your biggest roadblock like majority of the time it's like a mental game where if you think that you can't then you won't and if you think that you can you will so if you just have a positive outlook and a positive mentality about your own abilities and believe in yourself. And I have to also say that I didn't get here alone. I didn't, you know, I can sit here and say, oh, I studied so hard and I worked so hard. And all those things are true. But I've also had a huge support system, you know, when I was studying so much that I couldn't go to the grocery store, I couldn't do my laundry, like my mom would come over and help me out. So I think surrounding yourself by positive people who want nothing but the best for you is so imperative to your success. Because nobody gets where they are by themselves. We all have people who lift us up and help us when, you know, we're in our darkest times and we don't think we can make it through. I mean, it's happened to me. Like I said, even in my professional career, when I was studying for my board exams, when I was up late pulling all-nighters in dental school, I, I relied so heavily on my husband and my parents and my brothers and friends. And I received such an outpouring of love. So... I always told them on my graduation date, like, this is just as much of an accomplishment of yours as it is for mine because I couldn't have done it without you. So I think surrounding yourself with positive people who truly want to see you succeed is so important because if you have negative people around you or people who doubt you, those thoughts will 
start to infiltrate and take over what you believe in yourself and what you can do. But I really don't think that there's like any job that only men can do and there's no job that only women can do. If it interests you and you have a passion for it, then you should go for it because life is too short to be stuck in a job that you hate every single day. My husband, before he was in his job he is now, he worked at a desk. He hated it. He was absolutely miserable. And then he got the opportunity to become a high school PE teacher and boys basketball coach. And it's like his ultimate dream job. He loves it. So even though he took like a pretty big pay cut to go into being a teacher from his office job, it has just made such a difference because he's happy. And that's way more important than money. And so I think that if you have a passion for something, that's what you should follow. And you can't ever let anybody else's opinion of what you're doing determine your choice. Because if you are, if you think you can do it and you want to do it, then that's all that should matter. And you shouldn't care what people think or what they expect or if they want you to fail or anything like that because it's not going to matter at the end of the day. All that matters is what you believe in yourself. And so I just think that, you know, you have to take chances and work on yourself and better yourself and be the best version of yourself you can be. And if you do that, then things will work out. I love that. You are so wise. Like everything. <laughs> no wonder you're a doctor. <laughs> well, well, thank you so much. Yeah, and thank you. This has been fun. Thanks guys for listening. And remember to put on your shoes, do your best and believe in the impossible. All my dreams are coming. All my dreams are humming. All my dreams are coming true. Thank you so much for pushing play and listening to this episode. For more information about today's guests, head on over to NotablePeeps.com. And while you're there, make sure to submit your nomination for who would be a great guest on the Notable Peeps podcast. (laughs) 